Slick V on the track. God is calling me. I'm in a zone. I gotta see my doctor. Scott is calling me. Scott is beating me What's up, y'all? You're listening to the Extra Point College Football Podcast. I am your host, Jacob Carnes, joined as always by my co-host, Daniel Hammock. Daniel, how's your weekend? How was your weekend? <laughs> it was pretty good. It was eventful, um, much better than the the South Carolina and the Georgia folks who were dealing with that downpour did not look fun. It looked cold and wet, so I'm glad I was dry and in my house. Yeah, with it, the looked, heat on. <laughs> it looked miserable out there and you could even hear the wind and the ref's microphones during those games i mean just looked miserable that was one day i was glad to not be in sanford stadium <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe you know um so we had another busy 330 slate that's what we did a couple weeks ago where i felt like the remote was a uh, the remote was hot switching in between games yes and uh made, made it hard to to watch some games but Maybe a little bit easier after after getting to finish up the new biggest episode of the season in Champaign, uh, Champaign, Illinois this weekend. Yes, that was nice if you're a Georgia fan because you only had to live with the biggest upset being one week long. And yes, Jacob, I'm not one to say I told you so because Lord knows I've made mistakes in my life. But <laughs> um, I, I mostly was tongue-in-cheek last week when we were talking about uh, Wisconsin covering that big number, and I know it was one of your picks, but that, uh, which we'll get to in a second, neither one of us is doing so hot, but, um, you know, you mentioned Northwestern, and I said, hey, they're in the state of Illinois, so watch out for Illinois to have another ugly game with them, and you know what? Who'd have thought Lovey Smith is the game he's been waiting for, apparently, the past four years. <laughs> it's just, I'm going to put it all in for this one game, and... The unthinkable happened. His beard is magnificent. And that's why they won. Yeah, I did not realize it had grown because I have not watched Illinois football. No offense to the Illini. Yeah. I've not been tuning in very often. The last time I saw Lovey Smith, he was coaching the Super Bowl for the Bears. And so I had no idea he had grown a beard. When he came on camera, I went, ah, because I didn't know who was on the screen. <laughs> so, yeah. So, <laughs> but a rough but, week for our picks. Um I was way worse than you in that I went 0-3 this week. You went 1-2. We're both sitting at 5-7 and seven for the you know the extra points picks, the podcast. But we did get back on that W column for the pick of the year of the week. And well, that's again, the most important part. That really and, is. And that one was not just back in the W column. But that was another loud W. A yes. loud W on the road. And I'm, I'm going to be honest. I got worried. I started listening to a lot of other experts saying yep oklahoma state like so this is where baylor's road ends and for a little bit i was worried so-called experts but for a little bit i was worried and that defense buckled down and baylor was able to pull away so shout out to baylor for you know three and a half point underdog ended up getting to a four point underdog and we said take the points but you're not going to need them because baylor got that outright w and so great win for the pick of the week but let's go ahead and talk about what we learned this weekend. Daniel, what's something you learned this weekend in college football? Well, you're talking about that busy 3.30 slate. One game I had my eyes keyed on was Washington and Oregon. We talked yep. about this one last week, how it was going to be a de facto Pac-12 North championship. And, man, did Jacob Beeson look perfect to start the game. He did. He's just, 
zipping the ball down the field. I mean, he looked every bit of that NFL prospect we've talked about. And, you know, the Oregon defense looked like they didn't really have an answer for him for a while. And I was thinking, you know, we thought this would be more defensive game, but, and we thought, I thought Oregon was going to win and cover the three points, but that was definitely much more, um, close to a game that I realized towards the end, obviously, um, Oregon comes back down, scores 14 and answered at the end to win the game um, and the nice little cover. But, you know, this was the Pac-12 playing for their life. Um, And so, obviously, Oregon, with the loss at the beginning of the year to Auburn, knew they had to run the table the rest of the year to even have a shot. I still think they're not going to make the playoff, but Pac-12 is still alive. They're not out of it yet, and they are still alive. And not only Oregon, but I do think there would be a chance if Utah runs the table that they could get in because Utah has been playing. Their starting quarterback's been hurt. Tyler Huntley's been hurt. He got knocked out of the game again. Zach Moss is back healthy this week, and he had a really good game against Arizona State. And so the Pac-12 is not out of it. I do agree with you. Oregon is definitely the best team in the Pac-12. But once again, Justin Herbert was not the best quarterback in this game. Jacob Eason was still the best quarterback in this game. But if Oregon's going to keep going far this year, it will be because of that defense. That defense locked down. Football is a sport of two halves for sure. And uh, second half Oregon was definitely the uh, the storyline in that game. That They outscored Washington, what was it, 21 to, what was it? Yeah, 21-3 to end the game. Was right. The and they scored the last 14 points. Right, yeah. So very impressive. Last week I wrote down. 35-24 Oregon, and Washington got a touchdown more. So right. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah. But, um, Definitely that can like lead NFL you... people watching that game. So Absolutely. And honestly, if you're picking who you want as your NFL quarterback after watching that game, I'll take Jacob Eason after watching that game, and he yeah. did it against a really good defense. He was 23 of 30 for, what was it, 23 of 30 for 289, I believe. For four touchdowns. I'm sorry, three touchdowns. Um, so great game from from Eason, but unfortunately Washington's third loss of the season. And so that's not where they want to be in the uh, in their win column. But great game by him. Great game. Great game by Oregon. All the credit to them. They finished the game. Uh, great comeback win. And so, definitely, definitely. Well, the thing I learned this weekend, you know, started with the game in Illinois, but. I really do think that everybody's beatable this season. Now, that being said, that does not mean that anyone can beat anyone. But I do think each each of the top contenders have a weakness. And yes. so I, I jotted down a few of them. Now, the team that I think has the fewest weaknesses is Ohio State. You and I have talked about it. I think Ohio State's the best team in the country. And especially given who they're going to play, I don't know who is going to exploit that weakness. I thought it could be Wisconsin this week after watching that game against Illinois. We'll see. I'm not going to put Wisconsin's season into this game again. We like to look at the whole season. They right. pitched, they've pitched four shutouts this year. That defense has been elite. When you turn the ball over three times, we talked about with Georgia last week. Georgia turned the ball over four times. Wisconsin turned the ball over three times this week. And guess how many points came off those turnovers? 17. And Illinois scored 24. So there's a tail of the game, 17 points off of turnovers. Uh, you can't win football games doing that, especially with a team that wants it more than you do. Um, and so I think it was a perfect look-ahead spot with Ohio State coming this week. 
Um, but credit to Illinois, great game. But yeah, I think, like I said, I think every team is beatable. Ohio State, uh, it seems like a very small weakness, but I do think Justin Fields is hanging on to the ball too long still, and he's taken some sacks. Um, they actually rank 93rd in the country and sack rate allowed. Their offense does. And on blitzing downs, they rank 120th out of 130 teams in sack rate against the blitz. And so if Ohio State is going to improve in an area to win a championship, they got to do better about protecting fields in the pocket, especially against the blitz. Now, for Ohio State, that's easy because Justin Fields going to just run, but he's taken a few sacks this year. Uh, for LSU, it's their defensive front seven. Their secondary is elite. It's DBU, but their front seven has got to be better. Um, they just rank 31st in the country in yards allowed per game. Um, they got to be better. Alabama, obviously, this is this sounds so opposite of Alabama, but their run defense has not been elite this year. And typically, that is like if Alabama's good at one thing, it's stopping the run. Um, Oklahoma, the you know, I would say their defense, but honestly, their defense is getting a lot better, which we're going to talk about here in a little bit. I think Alex Grinch has done a great job. Um, Penn State, their offense against the good defenses. We talked about it last week. Um, Clemson, turnovers from Trevor Lawrence. I mean, that's not going to work in the playoff. It might work against the ACC because they've got a super weak schedule, but it's not going to work in the playoff against better teams. Georgia, play calling, which we've talked about, and (laughs) wide receiver play. And so their receivers have got to play better. It's an issue that we thought – you know, a lot of people thought it was going to be an issue, you know, come, you know, when the season started. And then a lot of people backed off and said, oh, wait, they're actually really talented. That's not going to be an issue. And now it's kind of become an issue again <laughs> with uh, with Georgia. Well, I think that um, <clears throat> Chuck Oliver for, you know, on sports radio here in Atlanta, I think he said it best. Honestly, um, he said Lawrence Cager, you know, he's he's been talking up Georgia this year. Uh, up until these past couple weeks, and he said Lawrence Cager should not mean as much to Georgia as he does right now. And so with Cager out with that, you know, he's had the lingering shoulder issue, and then I think he had a wrist injury, if I'm not mistaken, um, whatever it was. Anyways, so he's he's out. Um, hope you know, hopefully for Georgia, he's back uh, for the cocktail party. But him being out, he was the only one that was able to get separation, use his body, be reliable target. Uh, for Jake Fromm. Also, Fromm, I think he's not completely out of fault here um, with them so far. He's he's definitely needs to take, you know, I say take some more chances. He threw three interceptions last week against South Carolina, but um, he definitely needs to trust his receivers more, um, especially over the middle. But anyways. Um, yeah. But all that being said, every team, I think, has a weakness this year. And that's typically the case with any footballs, the teams have weaknesses, but right, you know, like we've seen the past two weeks, it's not all going to be chalk and people are going to lose games. People are going to lose games. They shouldn't. People are going to lose games against good teams. Obviously Alabama and LSU are going to play each other. Georgia and Florida are going to play each other next week. Not this week. Now we talked about Ohio state, Wisconsin are playing this week and you know, now Wisconsin has that loss, but that doesn't mean Wisconsin can't, Show up and beat Ohio State this week. And so Penn State and Ohio State still have a game coming up. Um, Clemson is playing absolutely nobody in the ACC. <laughs> so we'll, 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 see if they, uh, we'll see if any losses come on that schedule, which we'll talk about here in a little bit. But that's what I learned this weekend is that every team is beatable. And college football is fun, and I'm glad we play the games because 
it'd be not as fun just chalking up wins for for teams without playing the game. So that's what makes college football fun is some of the upsets. But uh, well, as we do every week, we update our ranking system again, which encompasses you rank teams, Daniel, and I rank teams, and we have some computer metrics that include game control, strength of record, uh, offensive and defensive efficiencies, and a couple more computer rankings, and we put them all together, and I think it gives us a really good basis as far as who the best teams are because it gives us the chance to watch games and give the eye test and then back it up with some computer metrics of how teams are performing. Um, and I heard someone say this, but it's not – I won't take full credit for it, but it's not who you play, it's how you play is a lot of times how I'm going to judge teams because Ohio State is still number one in our rankings, and people are going to say, oh, they haven't played anybody. Well, they've absolutely dominated everybody that they've played. And so it doesn't matter who you play because their execution has been near perfect in every game. And so Ohio State is ranked number one in our rankings, followed by LSU and Alabama, which is unchanged. We have a new team in the top four as Wisconsin lost this week. And that is the Oklahoma Sooners, followed by Penn State, who jumped Clemson this week. Clemson is at six. Georgia is at seven. Florida at eight. Auburn at nine. Wisconsin falls to ten. And then you've got Oregon and Notre Dame sitting right there at 11 and 12. So you've got five SEC teams in the top ten. Is that because we're SEC homers, Daniel? Uh, short answer, no. <laughs> um, <laughs> let me start by saying even <clears throat> taking out our objectivity, which I feel like we actually do a really good job of keeping each other in check, especially one person saying one thing, you know, and we challenge each other a lot. <clears throat> um, I don't like the rest of the SEC. So, um, you know, if we're going to say anyone's a homer, it's me being a Georgia fan. <laughs> I don't like Alabama. I don't like LSU. I don't like Florida. I really don't like Florida. Um, I don't like Auburn. You know, these teams, they don't matter to me. Um, I would say I'm more indifferent than anything. Um, you know, if anything, plus one for Georgia, minus two for Florida. Other than that, everybody else, I really am indifferent. Like, I don't have any hatred or anything like that towards anybody. So let me start by saying that. Second of all, uh, if you just look at our rankings, I think we're pretty – you know, I think we're right on it with a lot of the metrics that you use. And then, I mean, you know, undefeated teams, especially power five undefeated teams are at the top, but that's the thing. It's not just that they're at the top. It's not this political thing. It's like, Hey, we're putting them in the order of which we think they're going to win. If this is politics, AKA the AP poll, then you're going to be looking at Clemson and Alabama as one and two or LSU and Alabama is one and two and Ohio state has looked like the most complete team. It's just, it's bottom line until that's proven. Otherwise, you know, there's no reason to think otherwise, you know? Um, but I think, you know, obviously Clemson being down at number six, still going to get people saying we're hating on the ACC. Um, you know, until another team really emerges is difficult for us to really sit back and say hey you know Clemson's earned our respect and it it's also you mentioned how you win Clemson's been struggling with these teams because they're essentially just toying with them they know that they can turn it on in the last few minutes and win the game so they've looked not impressive they've looked not focused and um, these turnovers with 
with uh, Trevor Lawrence have really been alarming, honestly, especially red zone turnovers. Um, They're careless. Yeah. So uh, one thing, one quick metric, I'll make a quick, quick point, I promise. Um, Something me and you were talking about earlier today, something I haven't really factored in is leadership, Um, whether that be from a coach or it be from a player. And, you know, Dabo Sweeney is a great leader. I'm not saying that, but they lost a ton of leadership off their defense from last year that I feel like really propelled them through um, any ups and downs that they had. And on the flip side, I think of like an Oklahoma team with Jalen Hurts. Look how dialed in and focused he is right now. I think he's willing them to win, but I think he's asking a lot of their defense and their players around him. He wants them at a championship level. And you're starting to see that more and more play out. Um, You mentioned Alex Grinch's defense. It has looked improved. Obviously, look at the competition, but hey, the Big 12 scores on everybody. So if they're holding them to anything less than – 30 points. I think that's a, a win. And I think they, um, they've been holding folks to 20 points. I gotta look at the, the numbers. I don't have it in front of me. Um, but anyways, they have been a really good opportunistic defense relative to the teams they play. Absolutely. And to your point in Clemson, it's not that I think Clemson is a bad team. <clears throat> and how I've kind of looked at this is I look at, you know, I'll put the teams out, look at the ranking, because I think on, on-field on results matter. And so I kind of put them in order of wins and losses. And then I start to think, all right, who do I think right now will win on, on a neutral field? And right now, given what I've seen, I think Clemson would get beat by every team we, had, we have ahead of them. Ohio State, LSU, Alabama, Oklahoma, Penn State. And so Clemson's undefeated. They continue to win games, which is impressive. They've won, what, 22 games in a row now. But 7-0 this season, that's what we're going to look at. Um, let me ask you this, Daniel. So in my when I rank the teams, I have Ohio State as number one. When you rank the teams, you had LSU at number one. Give me your case for LSU as number one. So, you know, we've talked about how they beat teams and, um, you know, the completeness of, of everything like that. We've been talking more about, you know, the eye test versus resume. So I would say that they've both passed the eye test. And so that's when I went to resume and LSU has the better wins right now at this point. Um, We're splitting hairs between the two of them, honestly. But if I'm picking between the two, just because LSU was on, you know, you could have told me at the beginning of the year Ohio State would do this. And I really wouldn't be too surprised. What LSU is doing right now is – not characteristic of them, first of all. It says a lot about um, Coach O and the fact that he's willing to make these kinds of changes. I definitely tagged him more of an old-school coach, but he seems like he's more into um, doing whatever it takes to win, and it's very impressive. They're doing a great job. This offense is just humming along. Every time I look for them to stub their toe and to be old LSU again, it doesn't happen. And I think, you know, you mentioned their defensive backfield being elite. I agree. I think they can all be drafted in the first round eventually. Um, Not just drafted, but drafted in the first round. And, you know, the front seven needs work, but it's still an LSU front seven. It's still got LSU talent. Um, It'll manifest itself in the right times. I think that they've been... Just the types of game they've the games they've been playing have yielded them to give up more you know yardage here and there. 
And I think if they were playing traditional LSU football, you'd see a traditional LSU defense. So, you know, it's a trade-off. It's like what, you know, what Alabama has done and what it seems like Georgia is not doing right now, um, which we'll get to that later, I guess. But, you know, Georgia is playing in the box and playing that strong defense and they're playing kind of an, you know, more straight up offense. And it's kind of, it's helping the defense, but it's not really putting points on the board, which has fans upset. You've got LSU and Alabama putting these points on the board. They're giving up a little bit more than they're used to, but um, yeah, I would just, like I said, splitting hairs. If I put up, I'm, I'm not against Ohio state being number one. I simply think, you know, LSU has a couple more marquee wins, uh, especially the one on, especially the one on the road with Texas um, beginning of the year, because I didn't think that was a type of game LSU could win a shootout like that. Yeah, and Kansas almost won a shootout in Austin too. Well, so. you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness, that was a poor showing from Texas. They they've got some problems on defense. They but, do. Um, my case for Ohio State is one is I'll say I agree I agree with you. So strength of record, LSU is the best strength of record in the country. Followed by Alabama. Um, Ohio State is listed as number five for strength of record. Um, but just looking at how they've played, Ohio State has looked like LSU on offense and then looked as good as, like, old Alabama on defense. Like, they, they've gotten, like, they've got both. And so that's why I have Ohio State as one. Like we said, we're splitting hairs. Well, Daniel, one thing we didn't do last week, which was technically the halfway point through the season, was give out some midseason awards. And so we'll do that this week, and we'll also have our midseason playoff picks to this point, and then our playoff projection of who we think, given what we've watched, uh, is going to make the playoff this year. And so luckily for us, we got an extra week to think about it and an extra week to watch Wisconsin lose. And so it took them out of the, <laughs> the playoff for us. Uh, made that decision pretty easy, but... Right. Daniel, why don't you tell me who we, you know, we decided together, we talked about this beforehand, um... Who is our Heisman, our Heisman Trophy winner uh, predict, prediction uh, to this point? So if you got this early on, then you're going to make a lot of money. I saw somebody who who bet $50 on this man and is set to win $10,000 if he actually wins it. So Really? Yep. Joe Burrow, LSU. Um, <clears throat> you know, obviously transferred from Ohio State last year, played – you know, played pretty good last year, played competent winning football, but nothing jumped off the page necessarily. Looked like another SEC quarterback, one of the better LSU quarterbacks in recent history because they don't really ever have him. Um, but this year, I mean, he just broke LSU's touchdown record in a single season, and we're halfway through the season. So um, I think Joe Burrow, without a shadow of a doubt right now, is is my Heisman and you agreed with me too. So we went ahead and moved forward with Joe Burrow as our Heisman. Absolutely. Listen to this. Here's the stat that blew me away. This is as of last week. This is not including this past week's games because Tua got injured. But if you look at their passing yards, it was relatively even before this week. Um, and Joe Burrow had three more attempts. But air yards... So yards that the football was in the air before it was caught, from the line of scrimmage to when it was caught. Uh, so they both threw for about 2,000 yards. Tua Tagovailoa, his air yards were 600. Joe Burrow, 1,300. 
So that tells me that, A, Ohio State has some, excuse me, Alabama has some dang good wide receivers, which For sure. is not a surprise. But that tells me two is, Breaking some, news. <laughs> two is throwing a quick slant to one of his four freak wide receivers, and they're taking it to the house. Meanwhile, Joe Burrow's throwing these balls down the field. And if you watch the games, that's very obvious. Joe Burrow has a better arm. He's playing in a more NFL pro-style offense. And while they do spread the ball around and pass the ball around, it's still a, it's still a pro-style offense. And Joe Burrow is making NFL throws. And so he's definitely been head and shoulders above everybody else at this point. But it is midway through the season. So we'll see what happens when he goes against the Alabamas. And, you know, I think Justin Fields is right there with him. I think Jalen Hurts is yeah. right there with him. And I oh, think yeah. they're both above Tua to this point. And so, I agree. And so let's go to now we um, our next award, Coach of the Year to this point, Head Coach of the Year. And, Daniel, you knew this one was coming. Yeah, take it away. It's your, it's your guy. I have – I've spread my love on this man for, I think, since we started the podcast. And I've been talking about this team since before we started the podcast. I think you just like the silent H in his name because it makes you feel cultured. <laughs> but, anyways. <laughs> man, Matt Rule. Matt Rule has been incredible at Baylor. And he went into a program – much like Scott, Scott Scott Satterfield is having to do at Louisville, in a program that the culture was messed up from the previous regime. And so he had to come in and honestly be a, a dad-like coach of these kids and show them that, like, hey, like they have a coaching staff that cares about them, that wants to get the culture right. And so I have a huge respect for that, for getting the culture right before, like putting that before winning, putting you know these players, this team, these human beings, these men before winning. But as a result of that, these kids have bought in, and look at them this year, 7-0. And so I look back at some of his coaching records. Uh, his first head coaching job was at Temple. He took over there in 2013. Their first season, he went 2-10. and Second season was 6-6. Six and six. Third season, 10-4. and four. Fourth season, 10-3. and three. Then Baylor hires him, and so he turned that program around. Baylor hired him. His first year, he goes 1-11. Last year, his second year, he went seven and six. His third year this year, they have started seven and zero until they've matched last season's wins uh, in week eight this year. And yeah. so seven and zero. Hats off to Matt Rule. Uh, what an incredible job he's done coaching this team. And this team is fun to watch. And you can tell that they, you know, those kids love to play for him, and he loves coaching for that team. And so Matt Rule, he's our coach of the year so far. Well, and, you know, something you didn't mention, you kind of did with the culture change. But, I mean, some rebranding had to be done um, with with the team as well, where, you know, the public perception was that these were a, a bunch of bad kids. And so uh, rule, you know, I mean, not to say winning changes everything, but, you know, winning the right way does change everything. Absolutely. Um, so <clears throat> credit to him, credit to his staff. Um, great job so far. But the the next position or the next midseason award that we're doing, uh, kind of in- interesting. You mentioned um, the assistant coach of the year. So usually our first thought will go to a coordinator, um, which you you know you made a case for uh, LSU offensive coordinator Steve Steve Ensminger. Um, but you know we went back and forth and we both kind of decided. Joe Brady is going to be our assistant coach of the year thus far, just because obviously Ensminger was there last year. 
Um, and they did a fine job. They did a fine job. But this offense is completely different. And all you heard coming into the year was that, the you know, LSU's got Joe Brady. They got him from the Saints. He's going to install the offense. And, you know, we were both saying, okay, we'll believe it when we see it, you know. And then, LSU has said this every uh, year. <laughs> and, yeah, exactly. For the past 10 years, they said that they're going to open up the offense. And what do they do? They run the ball and they play defense. So really good defense and really good running the ball. But um, <clears throat> this has been different. And the, you know, the difference – in their offense, I think has been largely accredited to Joe Brady. Ansminger's still calling the offense, but you know a lot of the coordination, a lot of the prep, and a lot of the terminology, things like that, were installed by Joe Brady, and he's definitely, um, I think, gotten the most out of Joe Burrow. So he's the reason Burrow is in the Heisman frontrunner seat right now. Um, what are your thoughts on Joe Brady? Yeah, incredible job and. Like we said, we kind of came in and said, like, oh, like, are things actually going to be different? And um, they absolutely have been. And it's one of the reasons that Joe Burrow is sitting at, um, you know, atop the Heisen race right now. I look at some stats. So last year, LSU averaged 407 yards per game on offense. It ranked just 60th in the country. This year, they rank third in the country. Um, excuse me. Yes, third in the country with 528 yards on offense. Um, and that's including 368 passing yards a game. And last year, they would have been at, I'm looking, 234 passing yards a game. Again, 60th in the country. And so you want to talk about a turnaround? Yes, he's been a catalyst to turn around that offense and make LSU from a team that's always talented and right there and can't get over the hump to now is looking like, to a lot of people, the favorite to win the SEC West. Yeah, they're going to kick the door down, it looks like. And so... Hats off to Joe Brady. Um, yeah, I mean, great hire by LSU. And credits to Ed Orgeron and uh, Steve Ensminger for, you know, being man enough to be like, yep, I can use the help. Like, let's get this thing off the ground. Yeah, no, it's um, a huge humility. I mean, absolutely. you never see that anymore. Everybody wants credit. You know, look at the whole uh, Josh Gaddis, uh, Mike Loxley situation. Yep. You yep. know, everybody wants credit for that Bama offense. And look what they're still doing with, Steve Sarkeesian, who got ran out of Atlanta for some reason. Look at Atlanta. Anyways, let's not get into that. Mm. But, you know, it's it's really a credit to the whole staff because, you know, Coach O, like I said, I initially I thought he's kind of an old school guy and wants to run the ball and do it his way. But he's lessened himself and said, hey, we need to learn. We need to do these other things. So credit to all of them for looking in the mirror and saying we need to fix ourselves, really going out and doing it. So it's got them in the pole position at SEC West, and it should be a fun one in a couple weeks. Absolutely. So our next midseason award, our surprise team, and as a as a good surprise, and so a surprise that we love seeing. And this is a team that I knew I shouldn't have done it last week when I picked against them, but I did it anyway. It was a <laughs> bad move by me, and I took the L for it, and I deserve it. But the ponies, the yes. Dallas ponies. So, <laughs> The SMU of course, Mustangs. he means the SMU Mustangs. <laughs> yes, no, they've. Um, sorry, uh, they've been very impressive this year. Not to you know overtalk you or anything, but um, obviously Shane Bouchelle, Um It's easy to just point out places where guys transfer. I look at FAU every year and I think, oh yeah, 
they got that guy from FSU or they got that guy from wherever, insert school here. And you think that a bounce back, you know, transfer is going to, you know, somehow raise the level of play. But I think it's been coaching. I think it's been balance. They've got a really good, you know, running game to go along with Shane Bouchelle. And, you know, it's just it's just a really good balance. It's all the right things all at the right time. And, you know, they've been down long enough. So I think that this week they play Houston. I think the winner of that should be inducted into the Big 12. But that's me. Hey, honestly, though, and I'm looking at their schedule. Yeah, they play Houston this week. And SMU is 7-0 right now. And then they go to Memphis. That'll be a difficult game. It's a fun one um, right there. Home against ECU. They go at Navy and then home against Tulane. And so at max, I think they lose two of those games. Yeah. But who would have thought that SMU I – mean, that's, that's the floor. And so who would have thought SMU was going to go 10-2 and two this year, even saying that? And what's the likelihood they go 11-1 and one and end up in a New Year's Six Bowl? And so, Very high. Very and I do, and I and I do think the American took a huge step forward this year. Uh, it's no longer UCF and everybody. The Americans got several good teams. And I so, think it's you could credit it to coaching. There's been a lot of good coaches in this league, and they're it's really starting to show. And another coach that you could argue for coach of the year is definitely Sonny Dykes at SMU. And yes. so I would definitely be totally okay if he won it as well. Um, so let's talk about. Our next award, which is a not so good award to have, and that's most disappointing team. And Daniel, you and I talked about this. We kind of debated a little bit. We talked about potentially Michigan because of the expectation. Uh, we talked about Nebraska because of the perceived expectation. <laughs> uh, they were the <laughs> the media favorite to win the Big Ten West. Never understood that with year two of Scott Frost. Miami potentially with them being the second favorite to win the ACC Coastal, but I think we settled on the most disappointing team. And I'm not going to lie, Daniel. It puts a smile on my face thinking about it because <laughs> I, can't, I can't lie. I can't lie. And that's the Tennessee Volunteers because when you talk about a coach that was supposed to take a step forward their second year and a team that was going to, you know, this is the right coach, this is the right guy, Philip Fulmer took it upon himself to hire Jeremy Pruitt, made the right decision. He's going to bring this Alabama culture to Tennessee. They actually recruited well in the offseason. They got some great transfers. They've got five stars on their roster. Like, talent-wise, you could argue there's more star talent in Knoxville than there is in Gainesville. Right. But it's just not shown up. Of course, it started with two horrible losses to Georgia State and BYU. They get the win over Chattanooga. They take huge losses to Florida, Georgia. They got a win over Mississippi State. Bad loss to Alabama this week. And look at the rest of their schedule. I mean, they've got South Carolina, which – I would give the edge to South Carolina right now, especially mm-hmm. if their quarterback's not healthy. UAB, they should win. Kentucky, I don't know. Missouri, that game's in Missouri, so they'll probably win. If it was at Tennessee, I'd say Missouri would probably lay an egg. But um, <laughs> And then Vanderbilt, which, you know, they've lost three years in a row to Vanderbilt. And so, I mean, at worst, what if this team wins three games this year? Yeah, well, you know, Obviously, we we were talking about those other teams because of expectations, and it seems laughable now to talk about Tennessee with expectations. But if you if you try to think back to a world before Georgia State beat Tennessee, I mean, I picked Tennessee this year to win nine games, and it's largely based off what you talked about with the. And I picked them to win eight. Yeah, the the five star talent. Obviously, Jeremy Pruitt. I think he's a good coach. I think he's. I mean. 
you know, obviously getting Jim Chaney, I think, helps the offense, you know, kind of coordinate that. I think they've got great coaches, like position coaches. Everybody can recruit. Uh, you saw that. I mean, they stole uh, Toyo Toyo, the um, mm-hmm. Uh, yep. the, the the star linebacker, the five-star linebacker, he was on his way to Alabama. Everybody was tabbing him to go to Alabama. And then where does he go? Tennessee. They got two, count them, two five-star offensive tackles this year in, the, in recruiting. And they already had a former five-star tackle on their offensive line in Trey Smith. They had a former Alabama player um, starting at center that transferred in. So you look at those kinds of things. Then you think about these big wide receivers that they've had for, I don't know, two decades now um, with Callaway and uh, Joel Jennings. They, they were freshmen when Hunter Renfro was a sophomore. So they've been yeah. there a while. Yeah, they've been there a while. They were there when <laughs> Hunter Renfro had a hairline. And But, you know, all joking aside, you know, seriously, coming into this year, and it, I was trying to be as objective as possible and not hate on Florida. But I truly think, looking at talent, I was saying, you know, Tennessee is better than Florida. Obviously, that's wrong. Uh, and so that's really why they're on this list as a disappointing team, because we expected them to take a step forward. Not necessarily this world-beater mentality. Not necessarily challenging for an SEC East title. But we expected no, but- them to... I mean, I at least expected the floor to be like seven wins, and that seems impossible right now, um, just with what they've got left. And I mean, they would have to win out to win seven games. So yeah, it's oh, okay. Just, just <laughs> kidding. Yeah. So, but yeah. So I'm, I'm thinking about all that. I mean, you know, Garantano, I really don't think is as bad of a quarterback as people think, but I do think that being on a bad team and not believing is very difficult to play your best. So. Um, you know, all that being said, these losses, I mean, Georgia State speaks for itself. It's a lesser team you're not supposed to lose to. BYU, you know, for a week or two, we thought, hey, BYU is actually a really good team. But now it's kind of like, okay, they're a middling, you know, team um, over there out out west, west of the Mississippi, like I like to say in the Pac-12. Um, but, you know, they're just – when they got stopped by Florida, that – that was really kind of the indication like, hey, there's trouble in Knoxville. I mean, not that there was trouble when they got beat by Georgia State, but, <laughs> but no, I, I, I know what you're saying. But so, yeah, that's why they're our most disappointing team. Um, best game, I'll just go quick. I mean, we picked Georgia and Notre Dame. I think that's in the top five for best games, obviously. With all the atmosphere around it, that was fun for us. So, best yeah. game against the Georgia and Notre Dame. Plus, it was a great matchup of two like great teams. And so, I think everyone expected Georgia to win by a couple touchdowns and ended up being a really close game, which made it fun for the fans to watch. And it's actually it's also the most watched game this season. Uh, had the biggest biggest TV audience. And so, top four so far this season. We talked about it in our rankings, but Ohio State, LSU, Alabama, and Oklahoma would round, would round out the top four. We talked about our, now that we've seen the games, who we think will be in the playoff at the end of the season. And so, Daniel, you and I agree on three teams, which is LSU, Ohio State, and Alabama. And the reason we have Alabama in there is because we do think LSU wins the game in Tuscaloosa this year, which would leave Alabama out of the SEC championship, but the Alabama will you know, wins the rest of the games on their schedule, which would put them at 11-1, and one, which I think is going to put them ahead of 
another team that's going to have one loss, whether it's Oregon, um, and then whether it's one more team, and this is where you and I disagree, which is I do think Clemson is going to win out, and you think Oklahoma is going to win out. And so we're both saying the same thing, that I think an 11-1 Alabama is going to get in ahead of a 12-1 Big 12 champ Oklahoma, and you're saying 11-1 Alabama will get in ahead of a 12-1 ACC champion Clemson. And so yes. I agree regardless. I think whether it's Clemson or Oklahoma and they have one loss, a one-loss Alabama is getting in because they've gotten in every year. Like it or don't like it, they're Alabama, and they're going to get the benefit of the doubt. And yep. when, when Saban is sitting on the set of college game day at the SEC championship saying, man, two is healthy now. It stinks that that was our only loss. Wink in the playoff committee. Uh, making his case like he always does when they lose a game um, that they'll be they'll be getting in. And so let me let me ask you this, and we'll we'll, we'll go quick and wrap it up. But I don't think Clemson's gonna lose a game. You're thinking they will, but I think Oklahoma has a better chance to lose a game. So give give me, give me your case for Oklahoma winning out and going undefeated. So let me start by saying I agree with you. Opponent wise, Oklahoma has a tougher road. So let's start by that. I just think the leadership of Jalen Hurts has reached a certain point where it's manifesting itself in the team. Um, so, you know, people have said he's been sabinized because of how he talks to the media now, how he's, you know, never satisfied with anything. I think that's a really good outlook to have, and it changes the game in the Big 12. So I just think he's on a completely different level he's leading the team in rushing obviously passing as well um he's just he's too much for these other teams i think you're right with baylor and iowa state both being games that are potential trip-ups i do think that because they've made it this far they are circling those games very big and they are in red ink (laughs) and they're saying we can't lose these games and even if baylor and iowa state come with their best game if, I, if Oklahoma comes with their best game and stays focused like I think they will, they're not losing any either one of those games. And I think by 10 points, they're going to win every game. They're on their schedule by 10 points. I'll say if they have a bad game against Baylor or Iowa State, they're very losable. Um, but I do think that down the down the stretch, they're going to they're just going to be too much, um, too much leadership and too much just high flying offense and you know opportunistic defense. They're going to be there. And they're going to beat these other teams left in the Big 12. There's, you know, I the biggest question I would have uh, to your point, Jacob, is a Baylor. Let's say Baylor loses to Oklahoma and that's the only loss Baylor has. And they end up playing again the Big 12 championship. The second game would be the one yep. I would be concerned about. Yeah, I'm not concerned about the rest of the regular season, but it's a championship game. And I think you're still going to bring the focus. So my biggest point between the two teams is going to be focus. I think Clemson's going to lose focus at some point because of the leadership that they're missing. So, but I guess you go ahead and make a point for me why Clemson's going to do it and Oklahoma. I know I may have touched on some of your points why Oklahoma's not. Yeah, like you said, I think the competition Oklahoma's going to play is much tougher than Clemson, and you agree with me on that. Um, obviously, I love my beloved Baylor Bears. Uh, but Iowa State, too. Iowa State, you and I have talked about it separately, where Iowa State is rolling now. And it's amazing that they had the slow start that they did because now they're a top-five team in the country in yards for play. They're an explosive offense with a defensive line that's elite. Um, I think that that can give Oklahoma trouble with an inexperienced offensive line. 
And so as well as Baylor, who I think has the best defense in the Big 12. And so those are those are two teams that I look at and say, how in the world can you match Oklahoma's offense? And you can't stop them, but you can try to slow them down. And of the two, I actually would give Iowa State the best chance to beat Oklahoma. But like you said, if Oklahoma beats Baylor, it's really hard to beat a team twice because I think Baylor is going to find their way in the, in the Big 12 championship. That mm-hmm. may be their only loss. And so we've seen it the last two seasons. Texas beat Oklahoma in the regular season last year. Oklahoma comes back and beats them, not just beats them, beats them pretty bad in the Big 12 championship. And yep. then two years ago with Georgia and Auburn, Auburn beat Georgia pretty bad in Auburn, and then Georgia comes right back and beats Auburn really bad in the SEC championship. And so it's really hard to beat a team twice. And so that's why I think Oklahoma will be out regardless, is either a team that can like have revenge or beat them in the regular season. Um, and then for Clemson, I really do just chalk it up to competition. They're just not going to be challenged. But if Clemson is going to lose, it will be to a team that can force turnovers and make them pay for turnovers. Uh, wink, wink, South Carolina last game of the season. And so we've seen <laughs> South Carolina do it where they, you know, we saw Georgia turn the ball over. Um, and South Carolina capitalized off of that. And honestly, it was the touchdown that kind of put the game away with the pick six. And so if Clemson's going to lose, it will be because of turnovers. But I have to think that Dabba, you know, I trust Dabba Swinney, and I think he's one of the two best coaches in the country. And because of that, that he's going to keep playing this underdog card until they just sneak into the playoff undefeated. And here comes 13-0 Clemson into the playoff. And so I just think that's bound to happen. There's, I, I cannot look at Clemson's schedule and be like, yes, this team has a good chance to beat them. Because I don't think any team has a good chance to beat them. Whereas I look at Oklahoma's schedule and I can look at it and say, okay, here's a matchup I like. Here's another matchup I like with teams. And so that's why I would give Clemson the edge um, to get into, into the playoff over Oklahoma. Really quick, yes. um, not to create too much. I know we're up against it here, but say it plays out like we think, but Oklahoma and Clemson win the rest of the way. Does Alabama get left out? Yes, they do. You're saying four undefeated teams? Four undefeated conference champions. You can – you're – the only one that could get left out, you could argue, is Clemson. But there's no way in heck the committee can say all they want. That they only look at this year. But they're not going to leave out the, the defending national tw- champion. Who have just won 28 games in a row. No, right. they're not going to leave them out. Like They literally have not lost since they lost to Bama in the title game two years ago. And if they're undefeated, they're not getting left out. In fact, I would go as far to say as Oklahoma would have a better chance of being left out than Clemson would. Even though Clemson's resume would be... Nothing compared to Oklahoma's. Right. I just was curious what you thought because I, I agree with you. So, very interesting. That would be the first time Alabama in the playoff era would not have made the playoff. It's true. That's true. So. Well, if there's any year it's going to happen, it might be this year with Tua's injury. And so, last thing we'll, we'll say is just Tua has one less week to recover from the same injury he suffered in the SEC championship against Oklahoma. And before the game against Oklahoma, he said he was about 85%. So what does that put him at against LSU? 70%? And there's no way a 70% to a AKA or a Matt Jones-led offense is going to beat LSU. And so yeah. what I said at the beginning of the season is looking pretty good with LSU winning that game and also winning the SEC West. And so kind of glad I got ahead of that one. <laughs> no, it was a good pick. And Matt Jones, nothing against him. He's just the traditional 
Alabama quarterback. He's the he one. Is AJ McCarron. <laughs> no, and he's <clears throat> well. I wouldn't, you know, don't give him that much credit just yet. We hadn't seen a lot of him, but um, AJ McCarron was the quintessential Alabama quarterback. You're right. um, but anyways, just if the defense was playing at that elite level like it used to, and if the running game was at the elite level, Mac Jones would be enough for them to win games. That's not what we're saying. What we're saying is everything has transformed, and Tua is their offense or a Tua-like player. So, Yeah. Well, thank you for listening. I know we went long today. We had to give out those midseason awards. And so we will be back on Thursday with some picks for Week 9. And so for the Extra Point Podcast, he is Daniel. I am Jacob. See you.